Hi, my name is Amy Reinecke, and I'm here to help you learn to love your body well. Love Your Body Well is a podcast designed to encourage women to find the beauty in caring for their bodies without obsession, guilt, and shame. We are ditching the perfection mindset and embracing the season of life you are in, all while figuring out what works best for you on your wellness journey. Join me for weekly episodes as we navigate this journey together, and let's start a revolution of women who are focused on wellness while also being compassionate and kind to their bodies. Are you ready to live your body well? Well, gut health is a hot topic and one that we're diving into again here. And today I brought on Bethany Frazier. She is actually local with me here in Kansas City. So I'm super excited to talk to another Kansas City gal. And Bethany is a registered dietitian and the owner of the Kansas City Dietitian Collective, which is a private nutrition practice specializing in personalized nutrition. She is an integrative and functional dietitian specializing in gut health. Bethany is a lover of really cheesy food puns and never shies away from any conversation about poop. (laughs) Bethany lives with her husband and three children in Overland Park. Welcome to the Love Your Body Well podcast, Bethany. Thank you for having me. Yes. So I'm so excited that this by chance interview is happening today. I had a cancellation and I put out a call on Instagram and Bethany rose to the challenge of giving her like 24 hour notice to pop on here. So you guys are in for a treat. I've been connected to her on Instagram now. It's probably been a couple of years, actually. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just so excited to actually sit down and talk to you about gut health, which I know that you are super passionate about. But let's start before and just... I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and how you got interested in this line of work. So I kind of fell into it by accident. So I became a dietitian and I started doing private practice on the side. And the first dietitian mentor I had ever, she told me, she's like, you're just going to love gut health. I know that gut health is just going to be a solution for you. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm definitely going to do like weight loss. I'm just going to be traditional like meal plan dietitian. And I started my private practice and out of the blue, a doctor, a local GI doctor said, I need some place to refer my GI clients to. Can I refer to you? I said, oh, sure. I got this. And <laughs> that's where it all started. And then I just couldn't go back. I loved it so much. The more I realized most GI patients are really motivated and there aren't a lot of solutions that are being offered to them and nutrition and kind of the holistic side. There's so many things that we can do to help them. And I'm just passionate to be, I always tell people, I'm like, I don't care if I'm the last person you come to, you've tried literally everything else. I'm happy to be that last person. Cause I think there's some things that we can do to help you feel better. I love that you've generated that confidence in yourself over time with people with a symptom that a lot of people have, like these gut challenges. I mean, there's there's a multitude of them. There's a lot of them. And I think it's something that a lot of people kind of suffer in silence a little bit with and or just think there's nothing that can help me. And so what's the point kind of thing? Or they've tried all these things, don't know what else to do. And so they're just kind of suffering in silence. I know that I have several people, several friends in my life that have just had lots of GI issues. I have one friend in particular who had stomach pain for over 20 years. Over 20 years. I mean, multiple things to try to figure out what was going on. And a doctor after doctor just kept saying, I don't don't really know. I mean, basically, it's kind of in your head. And it's clearly not. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to just have this conversation, do like a little bit deeper dive today into some of the symptoms and also some of the diagnosis that, that people have. So let's kind of start off with this bloating. I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with is 
bloating, either whether it be after a meal or whenever, but what are some root causes of bloating? So bloating, I think one of the biggest things to understand about bloating is to make sure you know what good digestion is, because that's often a way that we can fix some of those bloating issues. So digestion happens in three places, our mouth, our stomach, our intestines. If we're not optimizing at every stage of that digestion, then we're not going to have optimal digestion. And that can present itself in multiple ways. You can see reflux, you can see bloating, you can have stool issues, diarrhea, constipation, you can see headaches, all sorts of things, depending on what's going on digestive wise, which phase is not being digested. So root causes for bloating, I'm always thinking of how are you supporting your digestion well? And that is, are you actually physically breaking down your food? And there's a couple of things that kind of prevent that physically breaking down that food. And a lot of us, especially busy moms, is that we are kind of rushing through our mealtime. And we're not doing that pre-digestion. So that mouth digestion, which means that you are breaking down the food, the goal, and don't fall out of your chair when I tell you this, the goal is to chew 20 to 30 times. They did a study on uh, almonds in particular that said in order to get the nutrients from it, you had to chew it 30 to 40 times. What? Yeah, I know. I know. So do this quiz. I always tell my clients, if you do an audit on yourself, when you're eating your next meal, don't just say, she told me I'm going to do 30 times. I'm going to do it because you're going to end up at the dentist because your jaw's going to hurt so bad. But <laughs> start with just chewing, like auditing. So you're eating your lunch today and think, okay, how many times did I chew that bite? And it's not one of those diet trends where we're like, oh, I'm going to count every chew for the rest of my life. It's more, I'm checking in periodically. Am I getting a little bit better or closer to chewing my food? And it's the texture of peanut butter. So if we're chewing mashed potatoes, you don't have to chew it the texture of peanut butter, but you still want to chew it some, even a smoothie, you want to chew it some because when we chew, we're sending signals to the rest of our body. It says, Hey, get ready for me. I'm sending food your way. So you release enough stomach acid, you release enough digestive enzymes, you release enough bile, all those things have to go together. Otherwise, you're going to end up with issues like bloating because your stomach is going to send food, you're going to send food to your stomach that's not partially broken down, and then you're going to send into your intestines and all of those just start to trickle into place. So I always think digestion is so key. And it's an easy free thing. Chewing is free. It's hard, probably even harder than just buying a supplement. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because I think you mentioned a really good point there. As moms, I'm guilty of it. Like I eat a lot of my meals standing up and I try so hard to like get to the table even if I have only five minutes, like just sit down for this meal instead of standing at the island, like all my, all my kids are sitting, but I'm standing and like talking to them or whatever, or packing a lunch while I'm eating or whatever. But it's just making that time. It, it does require, I think, a little bit of planning if that's what you're used to doing is like to actually sit down and eat your meals. Mm-hmm. Yes, I get it. Like I'm in the same boat. I have three small kids. I get it. So to give yourself a little grace too, and think of, okay, what's one thing I could do at this meal that's going to support my digestion? I can chew. I'm standing up. Yep. But I'm going to chew. Or like that fight or flight response is also influences our digestion. When we're stressed, our body diverts attention away from digestion and towards any of the stressors. So my favorite simple trick, again, like my kids are super picky. And before they can start screaming, mom, I hate this. I'm not eating this. I want something else. I do a couple of rounds of breathing exercises. So this is like traditionally a lot of people will pray at the beginning of a meal. It kind of takes that nice, that was me before running around like a crazy person. Mm -hmm. This is me now resting and digesting, doing something really small. Like today I can sit down. I can't chew 30 times because I only have five minutes, but I can sit down. 
today I can do breathing exercises. I don't have time to sit down or chew, but I can do breathing exercises. So giving yourself a couple tools that you can use interchangeably in whatever situation you find yourself in. We are officially on the go with two out of three kids in sports and most days of the week. And while I wouldn't change a thing about that, I do have to make sure that I'm prepared with a snack on hand that can get me from one activity to another. I like to keep an Aloha bar in my purse as a great snack that is gluten, dairy, and soy-free and made with organic ingredients. Each bar has 14 grams of plant-based protein, which leaves me satisfied on the go and serves as a better option than going through a drive-thru. You can save 15% on your order at aloha.com by using the link in my show notes. The mini snack bars are also a great option for kids. Yeah, yeah. And I I like these tips because there's things that you can do at home or if you're out and about, even if you're with friends or at a dinner or even a work dinner or something like that. Like You can do all of these things without anybody being like, what are you doing? You know, like you can take deep breaths when you sit down before you pick up your fork or whatever, and nobody's really gonna it's not gonna like draw attention to you. And it does. I I have definitely tried the breathing before a meal and do it often, especially if I feel like it's just been really chaotic. I think when you learn to kind of tune into your body more than you kind of learn those signals that you just I can feel almost kind of like like I'm just vibrating at a higher frequency is what I say a lot. And if I take those couple deep breaths, it does I can just feel everything kind of calm down, like mm-hmm. overall. And so I know that my body's going to be able to actually utilize those nutrients that I'm giving it at that time if I come into it at a calmer state. So, mm-hmm. okay. So I have a question about this in regards to meals. What about digestive enzymes? Like, what's your thought process on that? Is that something that we should be taking or do you need like a test to decide whether or not you need a digestive enzyme? I love digestive enzymes. Most of my patients have GI issues that go like your friend who had 20 years of digestive issues. Most of our issues go beyond just today. I'm thinking I'm going to do something good for my gut health. It's like, I have these issues that I'm trying to mitigate. I think digestive enzymes can be a really great tool. It's one tool that we're using and you want to make sure that you are using it well. So it has to be used at the beginning of your meal. And if you're thinking about your digestive activity, maybe that's not your problem. If that digestive enzymes is not part of your problem, it's not going to help fix it. I have like, there's a big, a couple big from the bloating standpoint that the common recommendation is, oh, let's just do a digestive enzyme. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people it does help with, but if you're like, no, it didn't help. And it doesn't take the place of doing other strategies, but it can still be one where I have a lot of people who just for other reasons, they either don't have great digestive activity or whatever's going on. And they say taking a digestive enzyme or taking a digestive enzyme when they eat out and they're not exactly sure of all the things that are in their food that can go a long way as far as mitigating their symptoms that they get after the fact. I think it's a great tool. Depends. And you don't have to have a test to show you. Some of the tests will show you if you have like enough, the enzymes are usually produced by your pancreas. So is your pancreas producing enough of those pancreatic enzymes? That's a great thing to know if you are feel like you're having trouble digesting fats. Some digestive enzymes will have like lipase in it or ox bile. So if you don't have a gallbladder or you have a sluggish gallbladder, you might notice that you don't digest fats quite as well. And that's where a digestive enzyme can help you just to be able to have a little bit of normalcy. I want to go out every once in a while and I want to have pizza. I'm not saying I'm going to have pizza every meal every day, but I want to have it sometimes and I don't want to have the digestive issues. Sure. Let's try it. Let's see if that can help. Yeah. Okay. So you said something there that I'm curious about. If somebody 
you said they're not digesting fats. What are some symptoms that somebody might be experiencing if they're not digesting fats properly? Mm -hmm. So the like big red flag symptom would be probably a change in your stool. So that could be like it usually turns lighter in color. You also might notice that when you do fats, higher fat foods, you might feel like you burp it up. Often we'll see this with like fish oil. And this still goes back to usually stomach acid because stomach acid is one of the ways that we really break down the fat and then the bile that comes from our gallbladder. So having really high fat diets, if you're following a keto diet, if you are someone that does just eat out a lot, those are always going to be higher fat meals. So that can be a really easy even just test for yourself. Okay, what happens if I eat just a moderate amount of fat? If you don't have to, we don't want you to eat a low fat diet. There's some people who have to, but we don't want you to have to if you don't have to. So if you just cook at home for a couple of days and you see, oh, my symptoms are better, then it could be that fat's part of the issue. And so picking the lower fat item off a menu might still be working in your favor where you're like, okay, I shouldn't have one that has like 80 grams of fat in it, but it's probably okay to have some fat. Just it gives you a little bit more of a test, but we will see some of those common symptoms with fat digestion being an issue for you. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. And I would say that some of our nutrients too will be off. So vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So if you're vitamin D and that's just like everyone, right? Everyone mm-hmm. has a vitamin D issue and that has to do with a lot of other things, but that still can be kind of a symptom that leads us towards that direction of, oh yeah, maybe you're having difficulty with your fat digestion. You're eating plenty. You're having these digestive issues and we'll see some of it in just normal biomarkers. Okay. So if your vitamin D is low, I just want to make sure I understand you, right? If your vitamin D is low, are you saying that that can be... How you digest your fats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that can be one of the symptoms. That can be like a sign like that you might not mm-hmm. be digesting fats correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have never heard that before. <laughs> so all of our fat-soluble vitamins, are A, D, E, K, are if you're not eating enough fat or if you're not able to digest that fat, you're not going to absorb those nutrients quite as well. And sometimes, again, you have to look at the whole picture. Sometimes those numbers are going to be higher. Your needs are higher. So if you have thyroid issues, like you need more vitamin A, you need more of certain things. But sometimes it can be just because your fat digestion is poor and supporting that a little better or taking all the vitamin D in the world. We have people who's like, I have to take 50,000 every week for the rest of my life. Otherwise, I can't stay in my numbers. And uh, those people are like, okay, yeah, but why? Why are you having to take 50,000 in order to stay high enough? That sounds like an absorption issue to me. Okay. I love that you're talking about this because there are a lot of people who are vitamin D deficient. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is a problem that a lot, a lot of us have. And I've had, I'd love to hear your take on this. I've had doctors tell me that like we'll never be able to get the amount of vitamin D that we need to actually just from the sun, which is common. What we hear, just get outside more or whatever. And obviously we're in Kansas, so we can do that for you know six to nine months-ish out of the year. But then about three months, that's kind of challenging. We are inside more. I'd say three to four months, you know, we are. So let's say that somebody has perfect digestion. Do you think that just getting outside is going to give you the adequate amount of vitamin D? Or do you think that supplementation is likely... I want to say the word likely here. I don't want to like have a blanket statement, but likely necessary for most people. Well, so the six to nine months, right? You have to have 15 minutes, the the recommendation to get enough vitamin D. 15 minutes, you have to have 75% of your body uncovered. So in Kansas, I mean, that's not, that's not six to nine months. That's standing outside (laughs) in my bra and underwear and I don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's being in a bathing suit. It's pretty much it. Yeah. Most of us don't do that. I mean, we do it for three months in the summer, maybe. 
and not every day. Uh, not every you, day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it's not, it's a fat soluble vitamin. So it's something that does get stored, which is good for us that we can kind of bank some of those, bank some of it kind of, and mm-hmm. save some of it for later. But most of us are starting in the pit where we're not, we're already not high enough. And we're finding that even some of our typical blood markers, we haven't really tested. And I have people all the time that come in and they say, oh, I said, what's your vitamin D status? And they're like, I don't know, isn't that on one of my normal tests? And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. you have to ask for it extra. So it's usually covered by insurance. It's just, you have to ask for it. And so we're seeing that those numbers probably should be, they changed the marker. So it should be higher than most of us are are expecting or what Mm -hmm. we used to recommend. But I, I, so I think, in the perfect scenario, you have the right color skin, you have that you live in a place that you can be outside most days, even if it's just most days out of the year, I think you could get enough and you get some from your diet. We have seen a little bit of a shift away from dairy products too. And dairy products are not for everyone. Obviously, I work in GI, there's a lot of people that can't tolerate them. But dairy products is one of the ways that we do get a lot of vitamin D in our Mm -hmm. diet mushrooms and like salmon. Those are our other really plentiful sources of vitamin D and people aren't eating those like crazy. (laughs) They just eat them. They're like, yeah, I'll eat mushrooms. Okay. Well, if you're already starting in the tank, you're not going to be able to eat enough mushrooms in the world to get you up into your enough vitamin D status. So supplementation I do think is pretty common. Mm -hmm. And during times of increased need, or again, if you have some other underlying factors, which a lot of us do, you're going to end up needing probably supplementation. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. We kind of went off on a tangent about vitamin D there, but I think that's like really helpful because that's that's a hot topic too, for sure. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to gut. (laughs) We could talk about so many different things. So bloating, we talked about the root causes of bloating. Let's say that somebody comes into your practice and says, okay, well, my doctor told me that I need to follow the FODMAP diet to help me feel better. What is your opinion on that? Or what is your guidance on that? I would say to a client of yours that comes in and is expressing that that has been told to them as the next step. So common. What I hear all day long, and I have one practice that refers to me a lot, and they come in the same like printout that's been copied 5 billion times. It's like skewered at this point. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about FODMAPs because this data is real. Like the FODMAP diet is pretty new especially in the US, we're talking about like 10 years, and they're still doing so much research on it. So there's some promising things for it. And the FODMAP diet, for those of you who don't know, it's low fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. So lots of fun words that we only use in nutrition education to talk about fibers and carbs, basically, that are really hard to digest. And one of the reasons that it's hard to digest for most people has to do more with what happens with those fibers, and that's the fermentation. So those gut bacteria are the problem, typically, not the fibers. So if someone comes in and they're like, I want to try the low FODMAP diet, or I've already tried the low FODMAP diet, then we're talking about how much symptom improvement did you see? Most of my people that I'll see will have symptom improvement are going to be those bloating or diarrhea or loose stools. Constipation, I see it a lot less that it works in those individuals. But bloating, it does work but that's not the end of the story. Like you don't want to just go on this restricted diet. And I typically only let my patients stay on it for about 14 days. So two weeks, 10 to 14 days, I can usually get them to buy into the low FODMAP diet or a version of it if it's important or it might benefit them. If they're eating tons of FODMAPs and we might say, all right, we're not going to remove all the FODMAPs, but this one seems like it could be an issue for you. Let's try and remove it. 
with the intention that after the 14 days, we're going to have managed some of your symptoms and start to reintroduce them. That's always the end goal is that you're going to be able to reintroduce them and not create food fears and to understand why, like, why am I having, I'm not sensitive. FODMAPS isn't about food sensitivity. It's about a gut way that their, your body is fermenting those foods. So what can we do? Oh, we can improve digestion. Here we go back to improving digestion. We can work on balancing out the gut bacteria a little bit better to where you're not having those issues. So that's the end of the story is that I would say almost all of my people that we have ever removed FODMAPs from, we are able to reintroduce them. Like it, even if they stop working with me and move on with their lives, I would say six months to a year, I want you to retry in these categories because you will probably be able to reintroduce these foods and we don't want them. They're nutritious. When you look, especially at my people that love lots of fruits and vegetables, they're like, what am I supposed to eat? The low FODMAP diet feels like it's very unhealthy. I'm like, it is. It's not, you're missing a lot of key nutrients it, just by limiting FODMAPs. And you just miss out on a lot of fun foods too. Right. Well, I think restriction in and of itself is scary for a lot of people. And that I think a lot of times when people start out on a healing journey, they're like, well, I'm going to have to restrict a bunch of things. And that can feel really overwhelming mm-hmm. to even like take the first step to feeling better. And so I think a lot of people kind of stay stuck in that space of not feeling 100% because they're afraid to go into that restrictive space, whether they have a history with an eating disorder or they just don't want to diet or they don't have the capacity for it and all of that. And so I like that you said a couple of things that are one that you don't recommend it for like a long period of time. That's encouraging. But also that the goal isn't to like remove those foods forever, but to slowly someday be able to work them back in. I think that's really promising for somebody who is experiencing a lot of symptoms to know that in order to fix your symptom, there's just going to be a period of time that you're going to have to maybe adjust what you're used to. But your goal is to actually be able to add it back in. Yeah. And there's that often I'll see that guilt. People will come in like, my doctor recommended this for me two years ago. And I feel guilty that I, I've not, I've failed. I haven't been able to do this. And that's, we have the opportunity to talk through it and say, this is, this is not your only option. I know this is the only option your doctor gave you. We've got a lot of other options to help mitigate your symptoms. And if a, an elimination diet is not the right fit for you, I don't want you to do it. I don't want to do it. So let's do something else. Yeah. Yeah. I was sharing with Bethany before we hit record that something similar happened to me a couple months ago. It was recommended that I went on a very restrictive diet. And I just know that I can't do that. And there, there is a level of guilt there. I will, I will be honest. I, I kind of sat there looking at the piece of paper, like, okay, this is my only way out. <laughs> Like really, I and I just had to kind of stand up for myself. And I think the old Amy would have been like, I'm taking the easy way out or I don't actually want to heal or whatever. But I had to kind of protect my my mind. And I think that my mental health and your mental health is really, really an important piece of this puzzle too. It's not just the food on our plate, but it's also what we're thinking about the food on our plate or mm-hmm. the food that we're not allowed to put on our plate at that given time. Like, what are we thinking about that process? And if we have really negative thoughts about that, I think it's going to be even harder to heal. So it's okay to like set those parameters of saying, you know what, based on my history with food or dieting or whatever, this isn't going to be a good fit for me to eliminate, you know, the majority of my diet. But what are some simple steps that I can do instead? And I like that you give them that other option, Bethany, and really meet people where they are. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The relationship with food is way more important. And we see so much relationship between 
that gut brain relationship. And so to be able, we're going to always eat, there's a lot of things that you can avoid, like you can avoid working out or, you know, whatever things that are, are healthy for you. Maybe you could avoid sleep. I wouldn't recommend that. But from food, we're going to eat like we're, we're going to eat and to be confronted with the way that you can't eat a certain food every single day, three times a day is daunting. And we see that at the other end appealing for people too, where they're still trying to come back from it, from whatever, whatever reason they had to go through restrictive diet. And, and it's just, it's hard. It's hard to come back from it. So if we can prevent it. That's what we want to do. Let's try and maintain your relationship with food the best you can. and make sure that you're working on the the mental psychological side, like food is not the enemy. It's just because your body is not currently digesting. It doesn't mean it won't ever. And this food is fine for the next person potentially, or your children or your husband. And it's not the enemy. It's just, it's, it's just food. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like taking the emotion out of it a little bit, I think is important with there. There are so many emotions surrounding food, you know? Oh my goodness. Yes. And we all have like a different set of things like a different baggage that comes with it i think so you know one person can handle it really well the other person can't and i think too often we have this like comparison that we're standing next to a person who might be experiencing similar symptoms they're able to do it we are not for whatever reason and you kind of look at yourself like well i'm a failure or you have this shame and guilt and i just don't in any healing journey whether you're whether we're talking about gut health or hormone health or anything i just don't think there's any room for shame or guilt, like that's going to prevent us from being able to move forward. It's just learning like what your body needs coming at it from kind of a neutral standpoint. That's something with, it's been interesting, the podcast and my blog and everything is love your body well. But I think often the misconception is like, you need to go from like hating your body or hating your story to loving it. And I don't think that it happens that fast. I think that there is a long process and in the middle of that process is neutrality. And just coming from this very gentle, kind place of how can I care for my body well? So for anybody like thinking that I'm only promoting like you have to love your body, like that's truly what it means. Like loving your body well also means coming to this place of neutrality that you make decisions based on the food on your plate or how you move or how you sleep or your stress coming from a place of how can I honor my body best today? Mm-hmm. That yeah. starts just what you said. It starts in your head first. Yeah. And it has to start there. Yeah. And sometimes those stories are terrible. Like mm-hmm. it, there's nothing you could have done to prevent it or prepare for it. And that I do, I sit with people sometimes where I'm like, I'm sorry, this sucks. Like there's yeah. no other way for me to say it. Like this is, this sucks. You have to try harder than the next person. And yeah. that's not your fault. That's just, it's just is what it is. So how can we make this easiest on you and make it? So you can continue feeling like you can push forward and do this because we don't want you on the other side of it where you're doing actual damage to your body mm-hmm. or you are, again, feeling those the psychological aspect of like the shame and the guilt and all of that. We want to want to bring that neutrality is, is a great way to put it. Yeah. So bloating is a common symptom with, mm-hmm. with gut, but so yeah. is reflux. Reflux mm-hmm. is a big issue. I think that a lot of people, you know, just take a Pepsid or take Tums or... Or maybe they're on, you know, an acid. Yeah, like a PPI, those proton pump inhibitors. Yes. So like omeprazole, pentoprazole, yep. all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like mm-hmm. reflux. I know it would have been, I think it was last year. I had reflux. I had it in one of my pregnancies, but then I experienced it last year for the first time. And Lord have mercy. That was not fun at all. And so 
what is your recommendation for somebody who is living with reflux? Mm-hmm. Like what can they do to help mm-hmm. minimize that? I mean, you go to the doctor and I, I'm definitely very pro medicine, pro everything. But what typically happens is you go to the doctor and you're like, I think I'm experiencing reflux symptoms. Great. Let's put you on medication. And the medication, some people, I work with people who do have to be on it long term. It does influence some of your nutrient absorption. It does influence your stomach acid production and your ability to digest foods. But for those people who maybe that isn't, doesn't have to be their story. It's always important to say like, all right, well, how can I advocate to try and come off this medication? And that's where a lot of people will find me. They're like, I want to get off this medication. What can I do? So going back to that pre-digestion, really important. I've had people who literally are like, I have reflux every single day. They slow down, they chewed their food and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so silly. All I had to do was chew my food. Great. Let's do it. So those are like super simple suggestions that you can always continue to work on. But a lot of the reason why we see reflux is not actually overproduction of stomach acid. It's more underproduction of stomach acid. So stomach acid is responsive to stress. It's responsive to nutrients. It's responsive to the type of food or the diet that you eat. So that's where we might see pretty commonly that we're not going to produce quite enough stomach acid. In the testing, you're like, oh, well, can't I just go to the doctor and they can test me for my stomach acid? They can. It's a really invasive test. And so most doctors don't recommend doing it. And so that's where we can kind of just say, all right, well, what are your symptoms? What lines up with those symptoms? What happens when you take a tum? What happens when you go on the medication? We want to just make things nice and calm. That's really the goal. So things like I really like to use for just kind of temporarily, I'm really stressed. So I feel like I'm having a lot of reflux or I mean, your body when you're going, I, I had reflux when I was pregnant too. <laughs> so when you're stressed and you have a little bit extra things that are putting pressure on your stomach, you're eating Mm -hmm. weird foods, all the things that happen that can influence your body's ability and your hormones influence what your body does with that reflux. So making sure that you do some common principles that are really natural, like don't lay down, don't eat right before bed. Those are all things that you can Google, but there's things that you can do in addition to that. And trying to stimulate stomach acid often is a really great place to start. So things like lemon juice or apple cider vinegar before a meal is a really easy thing that you can have to stimulate that stomach acid. Bitter foods are also really great for stomach acid production. And we don't typically eat a lot of bitter foods. Mm -hmm. So this is if someone has low stomach acid, because that's not a really popular thing. If we eat something bitter, it's usually sweetened with something. So we always think about like Brussels sprouts. We're like, um, I love Brussels sprouts, but I just don't like how bitter they are. I'm like, I know that's kind of the point. We actually (laughs) want to encourage the bitterness of it. Mm -hmm. And so Brussels sprouts, you know, kale can have some of that bitter aspect. We talked about apple cider vinegar, even a little bit of lemon juice, arugula. Those are all good bitter foods that you can have on a more regular basis. Coffee even kind of falls in that category, just not like sweetened and creamed up version. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. can still be a good way to produce a little bit more stomach acid. Working on the reason why, of course, is going to be the biggest issue. And that often is stress or just a poor diet as a whole. Making sure you're working on high quality nutrients can help with trying to build up that stomach acid. And this might be the place for like a digestive enzyme or digestive bitter even. I also, if you're feeling like that burning, what do we take the omeprazole or the the PPI to calm everything down and with the idea that this will pass and we'll be able to go resume our normal diet, you might need to watch the acids that you eat if you overproduce your stomach acid because it is a learned response. Once you have stomach acid that's overproducing and that valve knows to open up and let things up, then it can cause problems. So I really like throat coat tea 
that usually yes. has yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about it's great for, like, i know you're talking about too. and that is like it tastes terrible i'm gonna be really honest I love the taste of it. It's like so syrupy sweet. That's why I but, like it. <laughs> but you do you like licorice? See, I, I don't really taste taste the licorice in it, but I have some people who are like, I am so averse to licorice that I can't drink that tea. Yeah. I don't I don't love licorice, but I will tell you the throat coat is like a game changer. It whether it can be like I have a sore throat even, yep. you know, or like anything going on like in that GI track at all. Like it's just it's like miracle. I'll put that in the show notes. Actually, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes because you can get it on, on Amazon. Yeah. Target. Yeah. But yeah, it is, happens. I had someone recommend that to me too. And that has been incredibly helpful. So I'm glad that you mentioned yeah. that. Aloe is also really great. Aloe juice with throat coat, just because you probably have some listeners that fall in this category, not pregnancy approved. So don't use it when you're pregnant <laughs> mm, <laughs> or yes. aloe. Those ones are ones that you don't, you want to make sure you don't. Don't play wrong. So you're like, oh, it's a tea. How could it be harmful for me when I'm pregnant? But that's one that we would all use when you're pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Good call to, to say that for sure. I've gotten pretty piggy with the products I use on my skin the last several years. The reason being is our skin absorbs everything. And it's important to me to use products that are effective, of course, but also safe and non-toxic. And that is why I love Primally Pure. Primally Pure products are made with certified organic ingredients that are sourced with the utmost attention and care from family-owned farms whenever possible. Their products are formulated using real ingredients derived from nature for maximum purity and potency. I feel great using Primally Pure knowing how they pay close attention to detail and the products actually work. They have my favorite natural deodorant. The charcoal one is my fave and that's also the one that my husband and son use as well. They have an amazing gua sha stone that I've shared about many times and use often instead of Botox. I've also been incorporating dry brushing for my lymphatic system into my routine and I am using the Primally Pure dry brush for that and it works fantastic. I can actually feel lighter in my legs after one dry brush session. Their vanilla almond body butter is great for the winter and dry skin and their dry shampoo is a powder instead of a spray and that works awesome as well. If you'd like to try Primally Pure, you can use code BBJ for 10% off your first order with Primally Pure. I hope you enjoy and appreciate their high quality products as much as I do. So let's say that somebody has been on like a PPI or omeprazole or whatever for like a long period of time. I know that there's going to be a fear there of I get off the medication and this is going to come back. How can someone, and I, I'm going to, say the statement for you, like you're not a doctor, so you cannot tell them to like get off their medication. So we're not offering like medical advice here in any way. But if they want to get off of that, because it's not great for you to be on those long term, like for years on end, how can somebody kind of start to do that? Is it just by implementing some of these different things? And then is there anything that they would need to do prior to like, I guess, going totally off? Mm hmm. So of course, yes, make sure you talk to your doctor and they'll probably say, oh, sure, wean off. And I have people I've seen that they have to wean so slowly depending mm -hmm. on the dosage they have. So that it's not a failure. If you try, you try to go cold turkey. I have some people that can go cold turkey. You try to go cold turkey and you're like, oh, I feel terrible. This is, that's not a failure. It doesn't mean you have to stay on it, but going slower can really help. And then even working on, like, I really like DGL, which is that deglycerized licorice root. So yeah. that's one of the components of that mm -hmm. throat coat tea. The deglycerized means that it's not, doesn't have the component that could raise your blood pressure. 
if you take it, take too much of it. So that's really good for soothing the lining of the intestines all the way. And I'll use that. Sometimes I'll use aloe really intentionally. So using some of your things really intentionally and working on also, if you know that you're an over acid producer, you probably want to limit some of those really obvious things like citrus and red sauces, trying to limit those just while you're healing. And then you can introduce in small amounts to see, all right, well, if I have a little bit of red sauce, can I tolerate this? So small amounts and trying to really go slow is my recommendation because we don't want you to fail and then say like, well, that's it. This is the rest of my life. I have to be on this medication forever. Because even if it, even if Omeprazole had no, or any of those PPIs had no, no ramifications for your health, it's still money you have to spend. It's yeah. still like take, remembering to take a pill. So the more that we can give you flexibility in your lifestyle, that's what I want. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. That's really encouraging just to know. I hope what you're hearing too today as you're listening is like healing is a process. It is not something that happens overnight and it is definitely a process that has to happen. And so just giving yourself a lot of patience and grace in that process. Not every day is going to be perfect. Not every day are you going to be able to sit down for your meals and chew your food and and all the things. But like, what can you do consistently most of the time, I think is more important than what can you do some of the time. So Mm -hmm. you've given so many good things. I want to go back with apple cider vinegar, like Paleo Valley has like a capsule that's like an apple cider vinegar capsule. For somebody who is like, there is no way I can chug like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar before a meal because I would barf. Can they take like a capsule like that? What's your thought process on on something like that? I am one of those people. I've tried like <laughs> real hardcore. And my mom, you asked my story. The room, my mom is actually a dietitian as well. Oh, and so I come by it naturally. And my mom back in like high school, my mom was like, this is like the new trend. We're going to try and do this. And she's not a trendy person. Like she doesn't <laughs> buy into all the hype. She wants to know the science and all of that. Yeah. But she's like, I want you to take apple cider vinegar. And I feel like I'm still scarred from that. So now I'm like, oh, there's apple cider vinegar in this. I don't like it. So I, I understand. Sorry, mom. If she listens to this, sorry, mom. <laughs> this is the therapy session about the apple cider vinegar. <laughs> we... With, I tend to still think that the liquid works a little bit better. You don't actually want to drink it just straight. You want to drink it diluted just from protecting your teeth. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that it works a little bit better to do the liquid because your body, what are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to get that bitter taste. And some of our bitter taste receptors are in our mouth. In mouth. So if you buy into a Sour Patch Kid, what happens? Your mouth like starts to water yes. and excrete all that. So it's the same principle, not just a hyper extension of it that we're trying when we eat something bitter. We don't like that, but we still eat our Sour Patch Kids, of course. So we're trying to still encourage some of that digestive activity. And that's part of the reason why I do tend to prefer liquid or the actual like tasting some of it. And then when you're taking it into your stomach, your, your stomach still has to break it down. So your stomach acid, which is partially erupted, and we're trying to get it to come up a little bit higher, is breaking it down. It's spending its energy on that. Sometimes that can cycle into like more production because your body is responding. But that's, I tend to think like, okay, systemically, how can we make sure that we're encouraging digestion from the top down? Mm -hmm. So I do have some people who take things like that and really like it. That's not typically what I would recommend, but it could be an option. You can, uh, again, I'm always pro. It's not probably going to hurt you. It's just whether is it going to help you? you don't notice a difference and that's not the right choice for you. Yes. I love that you said that. If you don't notice a difference and not, it's not the right choice for you. And that is just, I think what we're really hoping that you're gathering from this episode is that you have to lean into your own intuition and listen to your body and see what's working and what's not. 
You can have your doctor or your dietitian or listening to a podcast tell you all kinds of things that you think you should be doing. But at the end of the day, you have to be your own advocate for your own health and you have to decide, I don't feel good when I do this or when I do this, this makes me feel better. And you're the authority. I think we've lost that a little bit. And I do feel like we are trying to get it back. There, There's a lot of us out there like you and I, trying to get that back, trying to put that power back in the hands of the person to say, now, hold on, just you have got to lean in. But I think we're so busy. We're going, going, going. And we just kind of want to hit the easy button a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And just healing, I hate to say it, I'm not trying to be negative, but it is not always easy. It's not Mm -hmm. as easy as hitting the easy button. But it's worth it to where if you don't wake up every day and you're having these symptoms that have you, you know, doubled over in pain or leave you feeling really uncomfortable, or maybe you're missing out on events with your family or friends because you're afraid of how your body's going to respond. Just know that there are some really simple steps you can take to see if those fit. And Bethany, you've shared so many of those with me today. Yeah. I always tell people I am really averse to sales. Like I don't like feeling salesy. It just always feels Mm -hmm. slimy to me, but I am in the business of sales. Like my job is to sell you on that like, how do you help your body feel your best? Mm-hmm. And those are sometimes hard things that you have to do, but we yeah. have to help you feel your best. So then you can say, yep, this is worth it. Or you can say, I tried all that and I felt better, but it was not, I couldn't keep up with it. It wasn't worth it. All right. Well, yes. which pieces could we maintain that you can keep out a long period of time or that you can revisit when the season of high stress and craziness comes back? You know, all of those little tools that you can use because it, you have to sometimes feel your best in order to know that you feel pretty crummy. And that's where we see digestive wise a lot where you have, and it's just like a little, it's, it doesn't really influence me anymore. Cause I've had stomach pain, like your friend for 20 years. It's, I mean, I just have to live my life. And then once you're like, Oh, I didn't have to live this way forever. Great. Mm-hmm. What can I do to maintain this and not be so crazy or restrictive or take a uh, entire, you know, medicine cabinet full of supplements too would be nice. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. Thank you so much for coming today. This has been awesome. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So can you please tell people how they can find you and connect with you? Yeah. So you can find our website, KansasCityDietitian.com. And then we're on social, Kansas City Dietitian. Love to connect with you guys, see what you learn and, and talk more about poop and food puns. If you got a food pun, I'd love to hear it. That's my favorite. <laughs> love it. Thank you so much, Bethany. I will put all of those in the show notes so you guys can take a look there for all of the ways that you can connect with Bethany. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Love Your Body Well podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review and let me know what resonated with you the most. This helps more people connect to the show and allows me to continue encouraging women just like you. I love when you share episodes that impacted you on social media or with your friends and family. It truly helps spread the word of compassion and kindness that all women need more of. I invite you to continue the conversation with me on my blog, loveyourbodywell.net, or on Instagram at loveyourbodywell. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I'm honored that you listen to mine. This podcast is for informational purposes only and not intended to provide a diagnosis or replace medical care.